Celebrating 50 years, ASCP is a membership organization of senior care pharmacists. Our mission is to promote healthy aging by empowering pharmacists with education, resources, and innovative opportunities. Learn more at ASCP.com. ASCP, experts in medication management, improving the lives of older adults. Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to Senior RX Radio, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Senior RX Radio is brought to you by the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, the ASCP. ASCP is devoted to optimal medication management and improved health care outcomes for older adults. Learn more at our website, ASCP.com. All right. Welcome to the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists Senior RX Radio. Brought to you by the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists. We are so lucky to be here today on the floor of ASCP annual meeting. So if you hear some noise in the background, that's the wonderful crowd around um, learning about all the stuff ASCP has. So it's great to have today with me Dr. Emily and Dr. Mir Krieger. They are going to talk to us today about the area of sleep. And I know for a lot of us, when we think about sleep disorders in the elderly, I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there. Um, if you're lucky to be here, we're going to hear uh, Dr. Krieger. You'll have a great chance to hear them present. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to having you guys. Thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Excited to be here. All right. So, my, my first thing is, tell me, how did, tell me about yourselves a little bit. How did you get into this area? Um, you know, why is sleep important? Well, uh, I got into the area of sleep almost exactly 40 years ago patient that had a sleep disorder and I didn't know it and in fact sleep medicine as a field didn't exist then and as it turned out um, it was the first case of sleep apnea reported in North America and I realized at that time that nobody knew anything about sleep disorders and um, my next task was eventually to create a textbook which I did and and here I am 40 years later. So I'm a little newer to the sleep medicine field, mostly because my father-in-law is the father of sleep medicine. Uh, but it's a, an issue that we see in a lot of skilled nursing facility and geriatric patients. So an issue uh, that, that needs to be addressed. And you both in the area of long-term care and skilled nursing facilities, or what's your area of practice? That, uh, skilled nursing facilities, long-term care, and geriatrics is my main area of practice. So, so I work at Yale University, and we have a very, very large sleep clinic, and a very large number of patients that we see are our seniors. Wonderful, wonderful. So let's talk a little about the senior side of this. And as I looked at your guys' presentation you're going to give tomorrow, what an incredible amount of knowledge that there is. And I was, when I made these questions, I was so focused on insomnia, eyes open, I see your guys' there's a lot more to this than just, just insomnia. We talk about sleep disorders. So maybe that's my first misconception, but is there common misconceptions around this practice in the elderly and how we treat sleep? Yeah, there are a lot of misconceptions. Uh, one of the big misconceptions is that older people don't need as much sleep as they did when they were younger, and that's not true. Uh, they need practically the same amount of sleep, but it may be spread out a little bit differently over the 24 hours. They may sleep, let's say, half an hour or an hour less at night, and uh, they'll make up for it with a nap. Now, the other thing that we see in, in older 
people is that they have what we call a circadian shift. All of a sudden, they get sleepy about three, four hours earlier than they used to. In other words, they get to you know they get to the point where they might want to fall asleep at eight o'clock in, in the evening instead of eleven o'clock, which they did most of their life. And so, of course, they'll wake up early. And some of them will actually go to a sleep specialist and say, "I have insomnia. I wake up at four o'clock in the morning." Next question is, "Well, when did you go to sleep?" And you point out to them that they actually slept seven or eight hours and that they don't have a problem. And and so a lot of older people sleep better than they think. The exception to that is um, older people that have medical conditions. The more medical conditions someone has, the worse their sleep. Okay. Which is obviously something to see in long-term care. And how do you kind of deal with that in the long-term care space? Absolutely. So I think I would add to that misconception that because older adults are more at risk for having sleep issues, we might tend to think that it's normal for a geriatric patient to have trouble sleeping. But we don't want to go down that misguided route and think that it's it's not a problem. We want to investigate potential underlying causes and ways that we can help address those sleep issues. So talk to me in the long-term care setting. Obviously, there's some unique challenges that a long-term care setting presents. And you know, one of the things I often look at is we're interjecting maybe staff's expectations around sleep. Um, how do you deal with some of those things in your practice around those particular, like, that are unique to the long-term care setting? So one of the things in a long-term care facility is that um, the, the patients frequently don't know what time it is. They're they're sitting often in wheelchairs in in a large room during the day, sleeping, napping, and so not surprisingly, their sleep at night may become abnormal, and uh, not surprisingly, they are often started on sleeping pills, which really exacerbates the the problem. So during the daytime in a long-term care facility, the patients should be active, they should be doing something, not just sitting around uh, in, in a wheelchair doing nothing. They need to be exposed to light because light is really the, the main synchronizer of our circadian rhythm. I think another unique challenge for sleep in nursing facilities is that as we see increased acuity of conditions in facilities, there's increased medical care needs. And so that means that sometimes these patients are getting onto regimens where they require um, checking their blood pressure or different other vital signs or um, medication administrations all times throughout the night and throughout the day. Uh, so this can interrupt their sleep pattern uh, in different ways. And so uh, one of the things that I like to look at to try to help fix this situation is if we can change medication administration schedules to not wake someone up if it's not required. Oh, I think that's fantastic. And we're going to talk about non-pharmacological interventions, but is there any sort of staff education, facility healthcare professional education we could, we could do to help with their sleep patterns? Very often in long-term care facilities, the staff doesn't know a whole lot about sleep. And that is a huge educational uh, challenge. And 
the other big educational challenge, and uh, Emily might get into this, is that the patients are often on a very large number of medications, and most of the time the, the medications need to be reduced by like at least half. They, they're often on medications that are the same thing but different brands or same class of drugs, and um, very often their sleep is disturbed by their medications. Absolutely, and that's just something that we're going to talk about a lot in the presentation tomorrow, how we can look at the medications themselves and the side effects impacting sleep, but also just the regimen, and can we adjust that, you know, simplify the regimen so that a patient does not need to be awakened in the middle of the night to receive a non-urgent medication. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's definitely a lacking area, because I, I know it's so often that the nurses are the one making those assessments, and those assessments are go directly to the doctor, and all of a sudden medications are started, and I think what you guys pointed to a lot is maybe there's some things we could do as pharmacists that we could probably interject ourselves in that area and help our patients before it gets to that point. So talk, we'll talk a little about non-pharmacological interventions. I, I know in the area of antipsychotics, we talk about how do we help patients who you know might have a dementia disorder or something like that. Is there good non-pharmacological interventions we should be attempting in our patients? Well, I, I'd like to start off by mentioning that a very large number of older people have sleep apnea, a condition where they stop breathing repetitively during the night. And one of the big symptoms of that, besides uh, snoring, stopping breathing, being sleepy, is insomnia. And and um, staff in nursing home homes need to recognize that that may be a, that the insomnia that they think they're treating with a sleeping pill is going to be made a lot worse if they use uh, any hypnotic. And the other thing is is that the treatment for their sleep problem is a CPAP machine or some other device like that. And in general, they're not familiar with these kind with that kind of equipment. So that's a big educational challenge. Absolutely, I can see that. Um, I've also seen success in um, in inpatient and outpatient settings with having quiet hours at night. Uh, you know, as small non-pharmacologic intervention, but if if there's not as much noise and stimulation um, before bedtime, that that can really help with sleep issues. Excellent. So, is there any, we start talking about the medication therapy. So, we've done a good job with non-pharmacological interventions, our staff education is good, and we need to start traveling down the path of drug therapies, the next decision we're going to make then. Is there appropriate treatment algorithms we look at, or where do we start? Well, I, I can tell you where I start, and, and um, when an older person comes in um, and they're having a lot of difficulty sleeping, the last thing I do is start them on a sleeping pill. The, you know, literally, it's the last thing I do. The first thing we do is we teach them sleep hygiene. We go over some of the simple things that they can do uh, to actually improve their sleep, and if severe enough, we can actually uh, use a treatment called cognitive behavioral therapy administered by a psychologist, and that's really very successful in treating patients with insomnia without the use of any pills at all. In fact, many of the patients we see who are older who come in with insomnia, they're already on sleeping pills, they're obviously not working, and they need to be weaned from them. And I guess then... If we do determine that a medication is necessary, 
I want to know the, the specific details so that we can pick the best agent. So is the patient having trouble falling asleep? Are they having trouble staying asleep? Uh, and then are they having, uh, what other comorbidities, uh, concurrent conditions do they have that we can select an agent that might treat two things at the same time? Um, and then also just thinking about um, how older adults process medications so that we're, we're starting at a low dose, picking medications that are you know, maybe don't require renal or hepatic uh, processing so that it's appropriate for an older adult. You know, one of the things I often see as a first strategy is melatonin. So I'm curious what the thought is around melatonin. The history seems like it's changed a little bit in its use currently, so it, it seems like it's on the rise in my buildings. Is there thoughts around it? Well, yeah. I mean, if you go into any Walmart store, or any, I'm not going to mention brand name stores here because some of them might be out on the floor, but if you go into any large pharmacy or any sort of department-like stores, they usually have a very, very big section that they call sleep aids. Absolutely. And the sleep aids will either, every product will either be melatonin, containing or containing uh, one of the sedating antihistamines. So melatonin is okay, but most people don't take it correctly. Your own body produces melatonin when it starts to get dark. That's when patients should start to take the melatonin, which is usually about three to four hours before um, they want to go to sleep. Taking it right at bedtime in most patients will not be something you see every day in practice. I see it all the time. Absolutely. I have so many patients who have been on melatonin for years, and I just don't, I wish that we had clinical trials, evidence that was stronger to support or give us clear guidance on the appropriate use of melatonin, but it's mixed. So um, it, my recommendation when starting this medication is that we we started at a low dose and we put a stop date on it to that we're reevaluating the efficacy of it and someone's not staying on a, a high dose of melatonin forever. Well, I'd like to say one other thing about melatonin. Um, in the, the United States is one of the only countries where there isn't pharmaceutical-grade melatonin available. In other words, it, you don't need a prescription for it. Uh, there's no guarantee. In fact, people have studied this. They've looked at how much melatonin actually is in a box where it says, let's say, three milligrams, and often there's no correlation. And so, um, so that's interesting. In other countries, melatonin is produced sort of, and it's controlled. And so there's a much better idea of what's in the package. And um, so what I always tell patients is that if they're going to be taking melatonin, they should use one of the store brands, which are much more likely, uh, whatever the store is, whether it's CVS, Rite Aid, Costco, Sam's Club, whatever, those are much more likely to be the right dosage. I think that's incredible. It's certainly one of the clinical pearls I'm going to take home today, and I think a lot of us will learn is melatonin at bedtime is probably not the, <laughs> something we can do right away, a real easy intervention before it gets to be they failed this dose of melatonin, it's higher doses, and it's on to whatever else might occur. So yeah. that's, that's incredible. A couple of treatment scenarios I wanted to run by you guys. Um, two things I think we common see in long-term care, and you, you mentioned already, is you have a patient who's on it long-term. Maybe it's not the best drug for them. Maybe it's not appropriate anymore. How do we start to lean off of somebody? Or what should be our kind of first thoughts going into that? Emily, do you want to start? 
start on that? Or I... Yeah, so I've, in skilled nursing facilities especially, these uh, sleep drugs usually fall under the regulations where we have to do the gradual dose reduction. So that's a good opportunity to reevaluate the safety and efficacy of those medications and have a discussion with the resident, with the attending physician, um, about the risks and benefits of continuing to use that medication. We just kind of cold turkey someone on one of these medications. Uh, they're not going to be happy about it. So making it a, a shared, patient-focused, centered decision uh, and trying to work through it together. Yeah, and so the, so so the the weaning has to be progressive, and it can't be like that because with some of the treatments. If you reduce them cold turkey, some of the short-acting medications, the last, many patients may get what's called rebound insomnia, where the insomnia is actually worse than it, it, it ever was. And, and that can be very, very difficult. So weaning needs to be slow. Because some of the patients may have been on some sleeping pill for 10, 20, 30 years. I know we can't talk about specific drugs necessarily, but is there an, is there a typical approach you go to that? Is it over a 10-day period? Is over a three-month period? Which are, depends on the length of treatment, I'm assuming. But is there a, a, a general rule of thumb to that? I wouldn't say there's an exact algorithm or rule of thumb, but just looking at it, um, how high the dose is and how long the patient has been on that therapy. And someone who's on a very high dose or has been on a really long time, you may need a titrate slower than someone who's just had a low dose short course of therapy. Yeah. Because one of the things that we run into when we try to uh, take a patient off the medication is that besides the physical dependence on it, um, and, and these are not opiates, they're not actually physically dependent on it, and a lot of it is sort of psychological. And the fear of not having a sleeping pill for some of these patients is, is, is fearful in itself. And, and they want something, and that's really uh, a big problem. And very often when we do start to wean them or stop them, we will give them a prescription for what we call rescue. If you have an incredibly bad day and night, you can take this, but not for every night. Excellent. And so maybe on the other side of that coin then is not our long-standing patients. We have a lot of patients who come in, brand-new patients. Maybe they're there for a short stay for rehabilitation. They're on sleep medications. Is there good strategies around that? Is that an appropriate time to even try to start dealing with some of those things with insomnia? always appropriate to consider and have that conversation. With that being said, I understand that those rehab patients, they were in the hospital where maybe they were being woken up overnight even more. Um, and so one of their strategies could be explaining that, you know, now that you're you're not, not in as acute of a setting, we can consider that maybe you don't need that sleeping medication anymore. We also want that patient to be rested, to be able to participate in therapy and get better. Um, so again, just weighing those risks and benefits and, and getting to the point of do they really need that sleeping medicine is what is the root cause of why they can't sleep. Yeah, and, and, and that's an excellent point because when a patient comes into a, at least an acute care rehab unit, often it's because of pain or it's shortness of breath, and those are the things that need to be treated because those are the things that are interfering with a person's sleep. And very often those are ignored. In other words, if a person has pain, you treat the pain. If 
they're having shortness of breath? Do they need oxygen? Do they need a bronchodilator? Uh, do they need a CPAP machine or some other device? So it has to be much more focused than simply treating the, the sleep issue. Excellent. Thank you both so much for, for coming today. I, I'm looking forward to your presentation tomorrow. Um, those of you who are listening now, I encourage you to, to look and find those slides because it's, it's going to be incredible. I think there's a lot to learn, and I know we've just scratched the surface of a lot of this stuff. So thank you both so much for coming in today. But before we go, I know you have a website. I wanted to give you a chance sure. to talk about that. Sure. Uh, so I, I, I have a website, and the website is www.kriegerbooks.com. One of the books that I have available for the public just came out a year ago. It's called The Mystery of Sleep. And members of, uh, of this organization, I've arranged for them to get a 25% discount through the website. So, Thank you so much. I, everybody, I know we'll look forward to seeing that, too, because I, I don't know this is a topic we hit enough because we think, I don't know that we put enough effort into it. We look at some of the other fires, but I think insomnia is linked to, obviously, a number of different things. And if we get under control, we can also help with some other things as well. So, um, Dr. Craigers, thank you so much for coming today, both of you. Appreciate your time. And thank have, you. Have a great rest of the meeting. Thanks, Justin. And sleep well. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Senior RX Radio. Be sure to share this podcast with your fellow consultant pharmacists and pharmacy associates to learn more about better outcomes for older adult patients. Join us on the web at ASCP.com.